Because I have a holiday feeling today, I will discuss an article outside of the neurosurgery world in this ninth episode. I bumped into it after reading some articles on Outside Magazine. The article of today is from the Australian scientist Burke, and we'll look at the effects of low-carb, high-fat diet on exercise economy and benefits for training in elite race walkers. As I am new in this field, we're going to pay some more attention to the introduction. What we know today is that during exercise, muscles are fueled by carbs in the first place and additionally by a lipid substrate. Amino acids all have minor contributions. The advantage of carbs over fat in muscle metabolism reflects in the 8% higher energy yield per liter oxygen consumed. Though, to conclude that carbs are king around exercise sessions might be too simple, as some studies report that carbs are super important for competition or high-intensity exercises, but may be less necessary for exercises at lower intensity. Also, there is some literature around the concept of train low, which means training during low-carb availability, or sleep low, which means delaying glycogen replacement, as a way to promote greater cellular adaptations in training. Also, the fact that fat is an abundance in the body of even the leanest athlete explains the interest in these diets in the racer community. High-fat diets in all kinds of forms, ketogenic, high-fat, restricted carbs and many other forms of diet, seem to increase release transport and uptake of fat in muscles, but without the proof of clear enhancement of sport performance. Recently, new interest in the field was induced by the hyped keto diet as a way to increase utilization of fat in muscle fuel. Now, let's head over to our article of today, where they look at the effects of a three-week adaptation to low-carb high-fat diet on metabolism and performance in elite race walkers. So what did they do? They compared male race walkers in three groups of around 10 athletes during a three-week training camp. The first group was training with a high carb availability. The second group had a periodized carb availability. And the third group had a low carb, high fat diet. Interestingly, they reduced the placebo effect by allocating race walkers to their preferred treatment while achieving suitable matching of groups. Training consisted out of three weeks of race walking, resistance training and cross training. Food intake was recorded precisely with scales accurate to 2 grams and energy intake set at 40 kilocalories per kilogram lean body mass. In the first group, the high-carb group, 60% came from carbs. In the periodized group, the distribution of macronutrients, which means carbs, proteins and fat, was the same, but high-carb high availability was combined with low-carb moments, for example, low pre-exercise glycogen, overnight fasting, or delayed post-session refueling. This strategy represents current guidelines that is involving 
around the evidence of benefits of strategic training with low-carb availability. In the low-carb, high-fat diet group, 80% of energy intake came from fat. Just before and just after the three-week training, part participants completed a three-day test block that involved laboratory testing, a field test of performance, and a hybrid session of laboratory and field exercise. On day one of the testing block, participants completed a treadmill test to assess economy and VO2 peak while race walking. Capillary blood sample and expired gas was collected. This test was done in four stages before a pause, after which they were running till exhaustion. All activities were done in fast state. On day two, they did a 10 kilogram, 10 kilometer race with pre and post race capillary blood sample. The race was done after a meal according to their diet. On day three, there was a 25 kilometer long walk on a treadmill segment. There was a collection of substrate oxidation, O2 uptake, glucose, lactate and ketones. Pre-treatment, everybody had the same breakfast. Post-treatment, treatment meaning the three-week training sessions. The only change was the, in the low-carb, high-fat diet group where they had a breakfast low in carbs, high in fats. Also during the exercise, this group had a non-caloric fluid, a fat-rich snack. During this workout, there was again collection of blood, but also a calculation of the RER, which means the respiratory exchange ratio and oxygen uptake. Carb and fat oxidation were calculated from VCO2 and VO2 value. Heart rate and rating of perceived exertion were assessed at the end of each treadmill section. First, I tried to summarize all results, but I quickly realized that just listing the results is confusing for myself and for you listeners. So in the next section, I will try to bring together what's important of this article. This is the first study on the effects of a ketogenic diet consumed during intensified training in elite athletes. The fact that these were professional athletes all going through the same program makes it more easy to draw some interesting conclusions. Let's start. First, the four main points that they want to make. Three weeks of intensified training and mild energy deficit in already well-trained athletes increases peak aerobic capacity. This improvement was independent of the kind of diet. A low-carb, high-fat diet was associated with the highest rates of fat oxidation ever reported across exercise of varying speeds or intensities. The shift in substrate oxidation from carb-based to fat-based fuels during exercise induced an increased oxygen demand for a given walking speed across velocities that are translatable to real-life race performances in elite race walkers. An improvement in performance was achieved by training and competing while consuming diets providing periodic 
or chronic high carb availability. But this improvement was not seen with the low carb high fat diet. The four points I just summarized are the main conclusions. But looking through this to the smaller numbers of what the athletes actually performed can also be very interesting. Let's have a look. So what do we learn? We learn that four weeks is enough to induce detectable changes in muscle performance and capacity for fat oxidation. We also learn a non-ketogenic high-fat diet induces a peak in fat oxidation after five days. This adaptation requires more time in a ketogenic diet, as you need weeks to overcome the fatigue and loss of well-being that is associated with these extreme diet changes. In the low-carb, high-fat group, we see a decrease in glucose at rest and exercise, and an increase in blood ketones. Gazette change measurements showed a substantial increase in fat oxidation in all three setups. It wasn't the first time that studies on fatty diets showed an increased fat oxidation in athletes taking these kind of diets, but in this study, peak fat oxidation rates were the highest ever reported, confirming the remarkable changes that can be achieved in well-trained athletes. Together with an increased rate of fat oxidation, there was a decrease in carb oxidation in the group that has a low-carb, high-fat diet. So down-regulation of the carb metabolism includes reduced availability of carbs substrate, but also a reduction in the glycogenolysis during exercise and a reduction in the pyruvate dehydrogenase. This means a reduced capacity of oxidative rate of carbs even with adequate supply. Maintaining a blood glucose concentration in the low-carb high-fat group proves that humans can adapt to conditions of carb deprivation by synthesizing glucose from glycerol, lactate or pyruvate. Still, one estimates that during these diets, glycogen utilization was reduced fourfold and blood glucose utilization threefold. So this means that reduction in liver glycogen breakdown was not compensated by an absolute increase in gluconeogenesis. All groups of race walkers improved their aerobic capacity by 3-7% following the intensified training program so independent of dietary intervention. Despite this, so despite an increase in aerobic capacity, the race walkers in the low-fat, sorry, low-carb, high-fat diet failed to gain improvement in a 10-kilometer race performance achieved by the high-carb group. And this is probably the most crucial finding of the study. Why? Because other factors such as increased perception of effort associated with exercise or effects of reduced quality of workouts during training program may have contributed to the failure of the low-carb, high-fat group to improve their race performance. But the effect of the low-carb, high-fat diet on economy of race walking at speeds required for competitive performance is of major interest.
Maybe this can be explained by the fact that carbs are able to produce a greater ATP yield per unit of oxygen consumption despite the greater ATP production per unit of substrate from fat. That fact explains the worse results in our high fat group, as in sports like running, cycling and swimming, the economy or the efficiency of energy transfer to the speed of movement is key determinant of performance. It is known that the running economy, it is defined as the relationship between oxygen consumption and running velocity, at specific race paces is better correlated to performance than VO2 max. Because we see in our group of low-carb, high-fat athletes, oxygen cost was increased after running in race pace, and we also know that training with high carbs availability achieves a reduction in relative oxygen cost, a reduced energy expenditure and an increased efficiency is probably the reason why the high-carb group performed better. In aerobic circumstances, the loss of economy can be compensated by increasing oxygen uptake, but at lactate threshold, this compensation is not possible, and reduced ATP production will limit exercise capacity. Something very interesting, but often neglected in popular writings, is the poor understanding of exercise characteristics that are important for competitive athletes. Even though one thinks that triathlons and marathons are conducted at sub-maximal exercise intensities, the most crucial moments in competition, breakaways, hill climbs, are conducted at higher to near-maximal pace. And so in a high percentage of their aerobic capacity, where carbs are the major fuel generating pathway. I think one sentence summarizes it all. The price paid for such an extreme conservation of carbs during exercise appears to be a limitation in the intensity of exercise that can be performed. It is probably better to work towards a holistic understanding of the ideal training to enhance capacity of the athlete to utilize and integrate different energy producing pathways. This makes our other group, the one following a periodized program, very interesting. In this group, there were recovery work sessions at moderate intensity, with training in fasted state or training in low glycogen concentration to promote mitochondrial biogenesis and upregulate the fat oxidation. But they also had higher intensity workouts in high carb states. Too bad that this study couldn't observe a benefit compared to the high or the always high carb availability group. What might be interesting for the future? It can be interesting to find the exercise intensity and economy in which the negative effect of low carb high fat becomes detectable. The effect of low carb, low carb intake on gut absorption of carbs, as this is the effect that maybe reduces the uptake of carbs, can influence the performance of athletes with a low carb diet. Also, the role of ketones as a muscle fuel source should be further investigated.
to conclude the study. The results of the present study shows that despite achieving substantial increasing in capacity for fat oxidation during intense exercise, a chronic adaptation to a ketogenic low-carb high-fat diet can impair exercise economy and negated the transfer of training-induced increases in aerobic capacity into improved performance of a real-life endurance event in elite athletes. In contrast, training with a diet rich in carbs and which provides either high or paradised carb availability around training session was associated with improved race outcomes. Thank you again for listening. Um, in the future, of course, the main focus will always stay neurosurgery. See you in the next session, the 10th episode. Goodbye. One more thing I want to add to this episode is to just let you know that the two articles um, we are discussing are in the show notes. Most of the attention went to the article of 2017, but it was of course the article of 2020 that inspired this episode. Um, the article of 2020 is kind of the same setup, but shows that the results of 2017, the remarkable results of 2017, are reproducible. Okay, enjoy the article. Thank you. Bye.